Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. from time to time I'll be in a meeting. Maybe this has never happened to you, maybe it has. I'll be in a meeting and the discussion goes on and whoever's leading the meeting leads it however they're leading it and at some point I just think to myself, why am I here? What's this meeting about? Why did we call this thing? Why did we get together? What's the purpose? What's the point? Has this actually happened to anybody else besides me? I mean, that, that's just sort of the way human existence runs. We, we get an agenda, we get scheduled, we get meetings, and, um, you know, sometimes it seems the only thing you do at work is go to meetings, and what do you discuss at the meetings? When your next meeting should be? Uh, you know, that, that kind of thing, and, and it's hard to get a handle on, on what the purpose of it all has been. And, uh, you know, just about every um, group of people in fact, every individual does well sometimes just to ask themselves, well, what, what is this all about? What are we doing? What are we trying to accomplish here? You know, it's possible even to come to church and at the end of it say, well, why did we bother? Now, why was I here? What was the purpose? Got together and we had the freedom of the Spirit lead us through the same order of worship we've been using for years. We had, we had a spontaneous expression of praise that had been practiced during the week. Uh, and, and uh, you know, sometimes you get the feeling, well, I've come, I've been in the meeting, I've sat through the songs, and, uh, okay, listen to the sermon. Uh, I, I actually did that, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going out of here, and all I can really say is, well, we had a meeting. I'm not sure what it was all about. And, and that's why uh, it's important for us as believers in Christ from time to time just to step back and to remind ourselves, why are we here? Why, why is this thing called the First Baptist Church of Waldorf in existence? Why, why have we gathered? Why have we worshiped? What is being accomplished? Why exactly are we here? And that's why I want for us to think about core values for the next five weeks. Now, a core value isn't the same as the foundational belief and truth upon which the church is built. Um, we value that, that that is a super core value, if you will. But things like uh, the existence of God, the triune nature of God, the deity of Christ, the reality of the Holy Spirit, the authority of the scriptures, the power of the blood of Jesus, the redemption that is ours because of the cross, the historical reality of the resurrection, uh, the promise and the hope of the return of Christ and our resurrection in him. Uh, you know, all those things that we find in scripture that are part of, of Christian faith, uh, those are all the foundation of what we're going to be talking about. So uh, when I talk about core values and you don't hear me say something like, well, our core value is belief in the resurrection, that's because it's already uh, baked into the cake, if you will. It's already the foundational part. I, I, you, you're with me on this. When we're talking about core values, we're talking about the next uh, thing that happens because of these truths and realities that we hold as believers in Jesus Christ, then what is it that shapes our church? Um, 
this isn't a sermon on what the foundation of the church is. It's not a sermon on, on what the nature of the church is. This, these are actually going to be a series of sermons on what our church is. The things that we have become convinced uh, of in our lives together as the body of Christ. Um, it's been about a 10-year process of writing five core value statements. Uh, you didn't know they were being written uh, for many years. I was the only one who knew they were being written. But about 10 years ago, I started writing down every so often uh, things that would be a core value of our church. Shared them with the deacons so that I wasn't out um, on a limb all by myself. But uh, these are the things that have shaped our life together. And so this morning we come to our first core value. We wrote it about 10 years ago, uh, and it goes something like this. The First Baptist Church of Waldorf exists for the praise of the glory of God's grace in Christ Jesus. And one of the first responses is, isn't that true of all churches? Well, in a sense, yes, that's true of all churches. Is it articulated in all churches? Is it something that is put at the forefront of discussion? Is it something that can be brought up in the middle of a meeting and saying, wait a minute, our core value is the praise of the glory of God's grace in Christ Jesus and what we're getting ready to do doesn't serve that purpose? That doesn't always happen. It's not because of, you know, I'm not going to say heresy or liberalism or anything like that. It, it's simply a matter that as human beings we get sidetracked onto other good things and oftentimes we lose sight of the main thing. So I'd like for us to begin uh, this morning thinking about that first core value, which is that we exist for the praise of the glory of God's grace in Christ Jesus. Now, as we go through that, this is going to be a core value of our church and, and of our congregation. If you're visiting with us this morning, this is your first time here, you have chosen a great Sunday to start because by the end of five weeks, and I expect you here every week, uh, <laughs> but by the end of five weeks, uh, you, you'll pretty much know what we're about and what God is doing in our midst. So we begin with that. But at the same time that we're talking about the core values of our church, I would like to challenge you to think about these also as core values of your life and how those work out in your life. So we'll be sort of walking two tracks together at the same time. Uh, with that as introduction, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 3. Hope you noticed a, a few moments ago as we were reading the text together uh, how often Paul mentioned grace, how he wove in the, the notion of the glory of God's grace and to the praise of God's glory, all that woven into this passage. So I want for us to read it and pick out those same things and get a sense of why God is worthy of praise, why his, his grace is glorious in Christ Jesus. If you will, then uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul writes this. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. He said, let's bless God who has blessed us. Now understand that when God blesses us, it's of a different order than when we bless him. When God blesses us, he gives us what we do not have and could not earn. When God blesses us, he brings all the wealth and the riches of heaven and he pours it into our hearts and he pours it into our lives and he enriches us and grows us and our lives become just expansive and profound in their nature because of what God is doing. That is God's blessing toward us. When we bless God, we don't add anything to God. 
When we bless God, we don't make him richer. We don't make him deeper or more profound. When we bless God, we do not take his existence from one level to a higher level. When we bless God, we are praising and thanking him for how he has blessed us. He blesses us out of grace as a gift. We bless him as a response for his gift toward us. You got that? So when we are called to bless him, it is not as though God is up in heaven hoping and praying that we will bring blessings to him so that his life will get better. Now, we do that with God. You know, sometimes we're, we're in a position in life where we hope and pray God will bless us so our life will get better for whatever reason. But God does not wait for us in order for his life to get better. So there's two different kinds of blessing here. One is the self-initiating blessing of God toward us in grace, and the other is our blessing of God and just praising him because of his grace toward us and his blessings toward us. So Paul says, let's bless God who has, first of all, blessed us. Now he goes on to expand that, um, and he says, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing. See, God didn't leave anything out. It's not as though you'll, you'll wind up in prayer to God one day and say, you know, God, uh, I have this need over here. And God says, what? Said, no, I, I have this need here. Maybe it's, I, you know, I'm, I'm sick or, or I'm having trouble with the kids or I have financial difficulty. And God says, wow, I had no idea. You, you looked like you were doing so well. You know, I, I didn't ask you about it because, you know, I, I just figured everything was fine. I, now that I know all this, God never says that. When we tell God that we have something hurting and something wounded and something broken. God's response is, I know, I knew that from the foundation of the world and I've got every spiritual gift and blessing poured out from heaven upon you. I've already, it's already in the pipeline, it's already in the works, it's already there. See, God's care for us isn't that kind of partial, episodic sort of attention that we give to one another. It is constant, it's eternal, and it's absolutely uh, complete in its ability to deal with our lives. So he says, let's bless God for that. Let's just praise God for that. Well, it gets better. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless in him. As God chose us before the foundation of the world. You know, we could make a list of all the great and good things you have done. And your list would be pretty long. You're good people. I mean, you're, you're some of the smartest people I know. You're here, listening to me. <laughs> what, what else could I say? But, uh, uh, but, but here's the deal. You, you know, if we listed all the good things you've done, that would be a very long list. My list is not going to be as long. Because whenever I would list something good that I did, I would also have to list right next to it the bad attitude that I had, the sense of I don't want to do it, uh, that, I, that I brought to it. Uh, if, I, if I list all the good things I've done, I've got to also add to the, that to the, the fact that a lot of the good I did was trying to fix the bad that I, I've done. So, um, and you know, my, my good-bad ratio is going to be pretty small. But yours is going to be pretty big. And you've got a long list of all the good you've ever done. That list of all the good things you've done did not earn the attention of God. Because all that that you did was done after you were born. God was setting his grace in motion for you before the foundation of the world. Before you were born, before the universe came into existence, before God lit the fuse on the Big Bang and brought this whole thing to, uh, to, to pass, you know, however you want to understand it, God was already 
choosing us. He was selecting us. And it couldn't be because of any good that we have done. It could not be because of any merit of ours. It was simply out of the gracious heart, the loving heart of God for us. And so Paul says, let's bless God because he chose us before the foundation of the world. Now here's the other neat side of that. It's not just that all the good you've done didn't earn God's attention. All the bad you've done didn't disqualify you from his love. All the sin in your life and all the brokenness and all the, all the things that you've messed up in your life, God chose you before all that happened. In other words, he decided this before the foundation of the world. That's why Baptists talk about something called eternal security. It's not the best phrase in the world, but let me tell you something. Our security is set in the eternity of God. So let's bless him and praise him for that. He chose us uh, before the foundation of the world. And then we read on, in love, he predestined us. Oh, no, let's run for our Presbyterian cover. (laughs) There's that word, predestination. Well, we could get philosophical here, you know. What is the balance between the sovereignty of God and the free will of man? Well, how much free will do you actually have? Well, if you have a will and you want something and you change your mind, you have the will to will the change in, in the will, and if the will can only change the will, who wills the will that changes? If your eyes just glazed over, you ought to read it by guys who know what they're talking about. I mean, it's just it's, it's mind-boggling. Here's the deal on predestination. And, you know, in some other venues, I'll, I'm happy to talk with you about what, what that means and, and how it works. But here's the deal. Predestination means you're not going to stop God. The world is not going to stop God. The purposes of God are set before the foundation of the world. His plan to bring us to himself in holiness and, and to be blameless before him, that is his design, that is his work, and God's going to win. God is going to win. He's going to have the last word, and it's going to be his glory seen in us. I'm not going to get into double predestination, superlapsarianism, and and all those other kinds of things, but I'm going to tell you this. If you love Jesus Christ, God's will for you was set before the foundation of the world, and he set out the horizons. He pre-horizoned our life. That's what the word uh, means in the Greek, pro-orizo. Uh, and it means that he set out the boundaries in which we would live and, and, and move and, and, and express our, 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 our love and devotion to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. So God predestined us for this, that we would be living for his glory. All right. So Paul starts out saying, let's, let's praise God. Let's praise God because he chose us. He, he set out a path for us. He designed us for his love and his glory, and it had nothing to do with our earning it. We didn't have to talk him into it. It's something that God wants to do and will do simply because he loves us and is a gracious, merciful God. I mean, we could stop here, and that would be enough to say, hey, let's, let's praise God for his glory. I mean, that, that, that would be enough, but it gets only better. Uh, to the praise, in verse 8, According to the purpose of his will, he predestined us as to, for, oh, as adoption. <laughs> you know, we, we are children of God. Oh, everybody's God's children. Yes, that's true. Everybody is God's child in the sense of creation and all that. We are adopted children in Christ Jesus. This is no small thing, folks. And this is what God did for us. In verse 8, 
to the praise of his glorious grace with which he blessed us in the beloved, in Christ Jesus. You see, God chose us when we would not choose him. God chose us for himself when we had not first decided we wanted anything of God in our lives at all. This says something about the reliability of God. If he chose us when we would not choose him, now that he has stirred our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit to love him in Jesus Christ, now that we do have this, this small desire in us to, to love him, now that we would choose him, how much more is his election secure for us? Our Father has done an amazing thing. His grace is astronomical. And we praise him for the glory of his grace made known to us in Jesus Christ. Well, let's read on. Now, uh, verse 8 ends with the word beloved in the English translation. That is a, uh, a reference to Christ, and it says, In him, that is in Christ, in the Son of God, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Redemption is a word that means uh, uh, that, that God has, has purchased our freedom. The, the picture there is of being enslaved, and God has come along and taken the blood of Jesus as the price of our liberation. We are set free from our sins, set free from our brokenness and, and the shattered nature of our lives. We are set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. He has redeemed us. He has bought us back. He has paid a price that we could never pay. And he has done that for us. Why don't you all say hallelujah? Yeah. I think, Brad, you're the only one tracking with me here. <laughs> Amen. Brad, Brad's not embarrassed at all, you know. Man, when we get to heaven, you know, when we get to heaven, even your pastor will raise his hands. That's how you'll know you're in heaven. Okay. Amen. Anyway, to the riches of his grace. I think I'm up to verse 8 now. These, these numbers get smaller. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, to bring it all together and put it back together after our sin had broken the universe. Now, in verse 11, in him that is in Christ, we have in, uh, obtained an inheritance. We've ob obtained a homeland is what it, what it means as you go back to the Old Testament imagery of it. We, we have a place to belong. We have a homeland, and that is the very presence of God before him and having been predestined that word again according to the purpose of him who works have you noticed how often it says according to the purpose of God that's not the purpose we would have come up with it's according to the purpose of God and that that's that's our hope is that God is working out his purposes okay um, according to the counsel of his will so that we who uh, were first, the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his 
glory. The word glory, um, in the Old Testament, it's the Hebrew word kabod. Uh, it's a word that originally meant uh, to be heavy, to have a weight. And the idea was the presence of God would come into a person's life and it would be like a physical presence, a physical weight coming upon them. And they would just feel that in a real way. Then it came to mean the trappings of power and the expression of majesty such as a king would have and you would just be overwhelmed with the presence of the king because of all that was going on. Uh, and so kabod came to mean that the, the, the Greek word is doxa. We get our word doxology from it. Every, you know, during the, the offering, when we sing the doxology, we are singing uh, praise to the glory, a word to the glory of God uh, is what the doxology means. But that word doxa from the, um, uh, the Greek comes from a verb, dokeo, and you don't care. But it's a verb that means to think about it and to be impressed by it. So the idea of the glory of God is you are impressed with the presence of God. In our congregation, we are impressed with God. We are so impressed, so impressed with his majesty, his sovereignty, his eternity, so impressed uh, with, with who he is, so impressed with his grace towards us and his mercy. We are so impressed, we want others to be impressed as well. You know, that's why we bring our children to church. Now, it's nice to bring children to church so they learn the Bible stories. They need to learn the Bible stories. But the idea is not to teach them enough Bible so that they understand the references to Scripture and Shakespeare. That's not the point. The point is that they would know the Scriptures and the stories of the Scripture so that they would be impressed with God their whole lives long. We are impressed with God. That's what it means, to the praise of His glory. God, we're, you're just an impressive God. And we stand awestruck in your majesty and just the, 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 the almost the, the, the weight of your presence upon us. It is so real and so palpable among us. And so we are impressed with who God, God is. And so we worship him. We say, you're worthy because you are an impressive God. That's what we mean, to the praise of his glory. We're going to praise the glory of God. All right? So let's, oh, and, and so uh, we're impressed with God. We're impressed with God the Son who bought our salvation, who paid a price that we could never pay. Now let's read on and, and finish this out. I think we pick it up in verse 12, verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Let me point out something here. It says you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. It does not say when you accepted Jesus Christ, you got a discount coupon that you could take and get the Holy Spirit at a later date. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit took up residence in your heart, the very presence of God in you. This is an amazing thing. If you don't think it's amazing, just walk into work tomorrow. Somebody says, how was your weekend? He says, fine. I entertained the eternal living God who created the universe. He's in my heart, you know. <laughs> yeah, that, that's called a discussion starter. <laughs> I guess. But you were sealed with the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. See, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is the demonstration that God is not going to quit. He's never going to stop working for our good, working to grow us and to mature us and to bring us to where we can uh, be a vessel of his praise and of his glory. 
The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our salvation. In a very real sense, our security comes only because we are secured by the Holy Spirit. It's God's work again. By the way, to the praise of his glory that we would absolutely magnify who he is. Um, the astute among you have noticed, have you not a Trinitarian structure to this passage of Scripture? Just sort of file that away in the back of your mind. That's going to be core value, I think, number three or something like that. So we're not there yet. But let me just point this out. We are impressed with the Father. We are impressed with the Father who chose us when we would not choose him. We are impressed with God the Son who died for us and paid the price that we could never pay. And we are impressed by the Holy Spirit that comes and secures the work of God and secures our lives for the sake of the Father when we were insecure and unable by our own strength and power. We give glory to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, next time you're standing up there wondering, why are we singing this doxology? Praise God from whom all blessing for all praise for all. It's because we praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Ghost is an old King James word that means spirit. That's it. It's not spooky. It's the only thing that rhymed with host. You know, so we were, <laughs> we, we were pretty much stuck with it. <laughs> That's why we sing it. We are going to give glory to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, who, who is one God overall. Okay. So um, that, that, that's the core value of our church. We exist for the praise of the glory of God's grace. That it's all his work, all his doing, it's his gift to us, and it's because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, to the glory of God's grace, and it is in Christ Jesus. We are going to stress and we are going to emphasize that our gathering together, our congregating, is for the purpose of worshiping God in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, I wrote that. I wrote that down as a core value about 10 years ago. Since then, uh, I would have added the phrase, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We exist for the praise of the glory of God's grace in Christ Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's what we are about. And that will transform a church. That's why we do what we do around here. Children's programs, we want our kids to be impressed with God. Now, why do we have youth ministries? Just keep them off the streets and out of trouble, give them something fun to do, alternative entertainment? No. We want our young students to be impressed with who God is. So impressed that with joy they give their whole lives to him. The whole life. We want our young adults to be more impressed with who God is than they are with the temporary sort of shallowness of the world and the fads of the moment. We want our adults to be impressed with God, so impressed that when the going gets tough and when life is breaking down and when there's despondency and despair, when there's, when there's a sense of hopelessness, when there's a sense that, that nothing's going right, we want our adults to be so impressed with God that they will turn and they will praise him because they know God is bigger than anything else in their lives. We want our senior adults to be very impressed with God um, so that they... Uh, uh, we'll just have that security of knowing that while the world around you is changing and faster and faster is changing, we serve a God who does not change. And there's no shadow of turning with him. We are impressed with God. Now, I suggested to you this is not only a core value for our congregation to explain why we do what we do. 
I would challenge you, is this a core value of your life? Is this, is this something that you would articulate, you know, as opposed to just saying, well, I, I go to church and I believe in God and stuff, and uh, um, no, I worship and I praise God the Father because of his grace through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. I exist for the praise of the glory of God. That'll transform your life. That'll transform how you get through day-to-day issues in life. That'll give you a perspective when you're in the middle of a heated uh, sort of political battle in the office and, and uh, you know, you're wondering, is my job going to be there? Now? Am I going to survive this? What's going to happen? This, that, and the other. And then you read, well, wait a minute, I'm about the praise of the glory of God's grace. This, this is just something I do to have the resources that I can give to him in, in order to praise and to glorify him. It puts everything into perspective. And I'd really like to challenge you, you know, to make the praise of the glory of God the core value, a core value of your life. Something that shapes and defines, motivates, directs who you are so that you'll fulfill who God intended you to be. Uh, one of the things we say around here a lot is the most practical thing you can do with your life is to live for the glory of God. Right. I mean, that's just, that's just it. Live to glorify God. That's the most practical thing you can do. And this is why. Because we were created to praise our Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's our core value. Let me challenge you. Make it a core value of your life, okay? Let's pray together and then we'll go. Father in heaven, I just thank and praise you for who you are, uh, for loving us. Father, amazing, before the foundation of the world. I thank and praise you for sending your son to die for us when we were still sinners in rebellion against you, and yet you loved us so much that you sent Jesus to shed his blood for us. Father, I praise and thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who opens up each day the avenue we might walk in order to praise you and to glorify you. So, Father, I ask that you make us open, receptive to that work you would do among us. Make our lives vessels of your praise that you indeed would receive the glory. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.